0: On this episode of china unscripted after escaping north korea and china defector yongmi park discovered communism right here in america welcome to china unscripted i'm chris chappell i'm Shelly jung and i'm matt ganesda joining us today once again is yongmi park she's been on the show before she's a north korean defector she escaped china and she's an author yongmi it's great to have you back on the podcast
1: It's so good to see you guys again.
0: Definitely. Uh, So the previous times we've had you on, you know, we've talked about, you know, life in North Korea and your escape to China and how horrible that was. But I'm curious today to talk a little bit about how you transitioned from, you know, like the worst authoritarian societies in the planet, transition to the free society of South Korea and then later the United States. I mean, what was that process like?
1: I mean, where do I begin? (laughs) Um, I still do think I'm still, like, adjusting. You know, every day I'm, like, shocked by many, many different things. So it's definitely a journey for me to get there. And I don't know if I'm going to ever become, like, American, but I'm trying my best.
2: (laughs) What's a specific thing that shocked you recently after living in the West for several years?
1: Uh, I mean, honestly, <laughs> so yesterday I went out um, with my friend to a bar uh, with my North Korean girlfriend, right? And then, yeah, a lot of girls were trying to make out with us. <laughs> and initially we thought they were like girlfriends, right? <laughs> we are very innocent. And then later they were trying to kiss us. So I was like, oh, no.
2: <laughs> you might have picked so, the wrong bar, Yeonmi.
1: You know, it was a normal bar, but... So like in North Korea, right, we don't know the concept of gay or lesbian. There's no vocabulary for it.
0: Are there bars in North Korea?
1: No. (laughs) So this is a
0: very different experience.
1: (laughs) Yeah, the bar I got adjust to, but that part, I'm still, I was very flattered. This is lovely, but we still, you know, do not, I think she and I wasn't fully aware that here how normal that thing was.
0: Yeah, I, I have that same problem too. When I go to a bar, it's just <laughs> all the
2: girls try to kiss you. <laughs> yeah,
0: and I just have to be like, "Look, I'm, I'm, this is strange for me adjusting to a free society."
1: <laughs> that's <is> so embarrassing.
0: <laughs> well, I can see how that's a culture shock, because North Korea—they don't really teach you about human sexuality. I'm
1: no, betting. I mean, that's the thing. Like, the romantic love isn't something celebrated in the society. It's something you know frowned upon. Like, uh, even current generation when people fall in love and get married people like mock at them and they think that's a very bad thing it had to be set up by the party or by parents by neighbors right through that way people meet so i'm sure Shirley knows in the i'm sure mao time they were not like encouraging people to date and right talking about love
3: i mean i guess you could be united by your revolutionary love of mao zedong
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah. That was the reason why you have to be united and and become a joint family. That was your goal you need to share.
2: Have have babies for Mao. But of course, like the. the, Or not have babies for Mao. I I don't know if this is the case in North Korea, but in uh, China during the, the Maoist times, it was like people would still fall in love and have premarital sex. It just was like something everybody did, but no one talked about. Uh, because it was officially frowned upon, just kind of like fairly commonplace.
1: Wow, interesting. I mean, in North Korea, I mean, or
2: yeah, is that the case in North Korea, or was he that... was talking about China? Yeah.
1: So yeah, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, so now it's changing a lot, but and because the now in the past, like when I was even there, people were like loyal to the regime. They like I sincerely loved the leader, right? Like I sincerely could have died for him. But now I'm meeting like a lot of current defectors who were born in 2000. I don't know how people possibly be born then, but mm-hmm. they are. <laughs> so those young kids that are coming out say, you know, they don't care. Just mm. the only reason they follow the rules is to survive because the punishment got a lot heavier. To Nami, mean, I don't know if you guys follow the news recently. Kim Jong Un declared the war against the K-pop. So he said that the worst thing people can do is watching K-pop.
0: Well, I mean, even a clock is right twice a day. <laughs> oh, you mean a broken clock? A broken clock is right twice a day. So <laughs> yeah.
1: true. I, I, I,
3: I can see that why Kim Jong-un would not like K-pop. because I bet. Why do you
1: think that? Well, I get...
3: You know, if you just look at the history also of communism in Eastern Europe and kind of what led to a lot of the fall of communism, like uh, some of it was based in religions, like the Christian churches were definitely like a, a, a huge like bed of like resistance against communism, but also Western culture, rock and roll culture like this is the 80s, 70s and 80s. Right. So blue jeans, rock and roll, Bruce Springsteen, like these things were considered forbidden in you know, places like Romania, East Germany, uh, the USSR, and the like a lot of young people would secretly listen to them. Mm-hmm. You know, they got their news uh, from the shortwave radio from like Voice of America, Radio for Europe, and they'd listen to, you know, secret cassette tapes mm-hmm. of yeah. of rock and roll because like that kind of rebellious, like, indiv- like you know, that kind of energy was a threat to an authoritarian regime and it was something they couldn't control. So I can Mm -hmm. imagine that K-pop, I I bet a lot of people in North Korea, right? You know, when you were there, you were saying you you watched Titanic, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that changed how you looked at things. I'm sure there are a lot of people now, young people like secretly watching K-pop or listening to K-pop. So I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, even in China, when my parents were young, there was a Taiwanese singer named Teresa Tung, and her music was banned in China, Mm. um, because she was Taiwanese. Uh, And also she sang a lot of um, covers of American songs and different things too. And so my parents and like people in their generation, they would pass around like cassette tapes, like bootleg cassette tapes of her music, uh, Mm. even though it was forbidden. So yeah, I I can totally understand the K-pop thing.
1: So the thing is like China, right? Right now under current CCP and even Iran or Cuba, people have access to (laughs) K-pop or like any kind of genre of entertainment. So, but then does that lead to a revolution? It doesn't seem like it. So that's why I'm saying like the, almost Kim Jong-un's fear of foreign information is almost paranoia. Like there is no guarantee watching K-pop gonna Start the revolution and demanding your freedom. So, do you think that I don't know? Is it like worth of his
2: paranoia? I don't. I don't think. I
0: don't know. When I listen to K-pop, I do have an urge to kill.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I I was going to say like you know, I don't think the Soviet Union fell because of of rock and roll or jeans or jeans. Or David Hasselhoff, even though he should take some credit for the Berlin Wall falling. Yeah. yeah, but like, like, but it was a it was a part of it, right? And I think what you have is uh, the Soviet Union had, um, on one hand, they'd been at this Cold War with the U.S. and this very, very expensive weapons buildup against the United States. So the 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 regime was uh, really depleted uh, in a way that left people increasingly unhappy in terms of their uh, material lifestyle and then on top of that you had gorbachev who had already been like pushed had already like suggested this idea of perestroika and this idea that like you know western things you know and, and glasnost you know the idea like western things could be like okay uh and so like on one hand people were increasingly miserable as the soviet union was depleted uh number two they had access to western culture Uh, And I think it was the combination of these two things and probably a few other factors um, that allowed that to happen. But if you look at China, China is not depleted, right? China has a lot of material resources uh, because, you know, uh, American investors are giving it to them, right? And so you can have as much, you know, BTS, K-pop in China as you want. That itself is not going to cause the regime to fall. So... I think the question for for Kim Jong-un might be more like uh, if he feels that his regime is so weak and depleted and people are so unhappy in every other aspect of their lives, then like anything could be that catalyst, right? So K-pop or, you know, Titanic Mm. or or whatever movies come out in the last 20 years.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think China is a different situation now than, you know, the Soviet Union or a lot of things because of the I mean I think the Chinese Communist Party realized after 1989 the Tiananmen Square Massacre basically is that they had to um, control the hearts and minds of people a different way so they started that whole patriotic education campaign and they were able to use nationalism in a way that was very effective so that now a lot of Chinese people, like pride in being Chinese is kind of like Mm -hmm. caught up with the Chinese Communist Party. And because they're, like Matt said, so economically successful, Mm -hmm. um, you know, most people, I mean, I think there's still like a lot of kind of dissatisfaction in Chinese society, but it's not like it was in, you know, Eastern Europe when you had the bread lines and you had, you know, Western things were a symbol of like, some kind of hope for them. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. Chinese people are now taught that like the Chinese Communist Party, like China under, you know, socialism with Chinese characteristics is is superior to the Western model. So, you know, and when you have like Chinese, like rich Chinese, um, you know, students come to the West with driving their Porsches Mm. and stuff like that, they don't see America as a place of freedom. They just kind of see it as not as good as, you know, yeah. where they came from.
2: Well, so I guess the question, you and me about North Korea would be that, you know, for people living in North Korea now, do they feel that their lives are getting better and that there's hope within the North Korean system? And if so, you know, K-pop maybe doesn't matter, right? So, <laughs> so how are people in North Korea feeling?
1: So, yeah, it's... Uh... I do talk to people in North Korea, and also I talk to people who uh, work, the, the, the officials got out of North Korea legally, with the official permit working in Russia and China, I talk to them very regularly. Nobody has a faith in the system, including the elites, not to mention the people in the bottom. Uh, the only reason for me is like, not understand why they're maintaining it, even as an elite, is that fear. Right. If they escape, then there are three generations of their family going to be executed. And the poor people, they want to get out, but they can't because the border is now seared with, right, the country cannot afford electricity, put these high electrified fences on the border with the machine guns. And that was not enough. They were burying landmines on the entire border of North Korea. The so entire country is now seared. It became a prison camp. So... That's the thing. Nobody has a faith and just all they have is fear. And that's the thing. Like Kim Jong-un executes way more people than anybody. And the rates of execution is going up and up because he just really has nothing left to do to do controlling the people. And I don't know, like, is that maybe fear isn't enough to control the people? Like in the past, they were at least, like, you know, try to pretend they were the beloved mother party. You know, we are thankful to have them but they don't even pretend anymore. Like we, if you disagree, I'm gonna kill you.
0: Yeah, you know, hearing that, it's just, I always think about this guy you interviewed one day. I don't think we ever did, did anything with the interview, but you interviewed a guy in New York was talking about how much better North Korea was than the United oh, States of yeah. America? yeah, he is an American guy. Yeah, 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 and how he would much rather live in North Korea,
2: or as he called it, the DPRK. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's I actually true. remember I showed you this this clip on my phone a couple of years ago in Oslo. Yeah. Yomi.
0: Should we should we play it? Yeah, I let's think we... let's just play that clip. alright We're gonna play that clip right now.
2: Yeah, do you think North Korea or America is a better place to live?
0: Uh, certainly, the DPRK. I mean, people don't starve to death in the DPRK like they do here every day. I mean, how many people in in poor parts of the United States have starved to death since we started this rally today? How many people have starved to death in Appalachia? How many people have starved to death in Harlem? There are more homeless people than there are more empty houses than homeless people in the United States. So that that's crazy. Have you have you met anyone like that in the United States who like just has this completely? I don't know, what do you call it, brainwashed view of, like, communism in North Korea?
1: Or not Brahma. Maybe they're delusional. They're insane. They're literally crazy. Otherwise, how can you... So, it's not like I just met them. Do you know all these people saying, I'm a CIA spy, I'm a liar, I'm a fake, blah, blah, blah. Those are the people dedicated their life to destroy me. And, I mean, they were... They, they come to a lot of the, the conferences and throw one of them threw milkshake to uh, the, do you remember Taeyong-ho who <laughs> yeah. North Korean diplomat escaped in Oslo when he was attending? They knew who he was and threw a milkshake at him in Oslo, Norway.
0: And that wasn't a North Korean guy. I think I was like around the corner when that happened. It wasn't a North Korean guy. It was like some Norwegian wow. dude threw yeah, throwing milkshakes some on guy. behalf of Kim Jong-un. Yeah. It's crazy.
1: So, but the thing is this kind of uh, love for North Korean leadership is... Uh, in a way stronger from the outsiders, because for insiders, we know the oppression. We know how hard it is, how brutal the dictatorship is. But then when it comes to defending the ideology of Zutay and North Korean regime, in a way, those guys are actually true believers. And I don't know how Kim Jong-un did it. It's going to be my forever mystery. How the heck did they do it to these foreigners and made them become this kind of true believers?
2: I mean, there's just something about Kim Jong un. He's so attractive. (laughs)
1: Uh, I know. (laughs) Was
3: it that? um, Well, I mean, so when people, North Korean defectors like you, come out and talk about what it's like in North Korea, their response is that you're a CIA spy? Is that?
1: Yeah, they say, I get paid by CIA. I'm lying. I'm opportunist. And. Yeah. So that's that's what their narrative is. And I will, I'm the, like the puppet of the Western propaganda. So that's what I am. <laughs> nice. I became a puppet for the Western pro- countries right now. So that's I mean, it's, what they it's, say. it's the
2: worst to you know be accused of being a CIA puppet and then not actually get any CIA funding. Am I right, Chris? <laughs> I can relate. I can really relate.
1: That's the thing. Like, where is the CIA? By the way, why they never call me? Right? i feel sure they know who I am by now, but they never ever call me. Yeah, it's too bad. <laughs>
0: yeah, the reputation doesn't quite meet uh, the reality. But like, so recently you were on um, the Jordan Peterson podcast, which is a fantastic interview. I recommend it to everyone watching.
1: Oh, thank you.
0: And I believe during it you said you said something like uh, your time in at uh, Columbia University in New York. There were things happening there that were crazier than north korea yeah so so what is what is that like that seems in because we're t- we talk about this guy who thinks north korea is great yeah but uh like what is happening in north uh in, no, not <laughs> in north, north Korean, columbia in north in uh, <laughs> in the democratic people's state of Colombia?
1: <laughs> yeah exactly So I I mean, like some people got so emotional, like why do you compare to North Korea to America? But I was actually comparing America's extreme left culture to North Korea. I was more specifying, not America in general, right? So that is the first clarification. And I mean, where do I even begin? So before class at Columbia, I was there for four years. Every single class starts with saying your pronouns first, then your name. So imagine if it's like 90 people lecture hall. You hear what their pronouns are and they, their names are what they're studying. Instead of me trying to understand what their desires are, who they are as a person, I am obsessed to remembering their pronouns. So I don't become a bigot and become come off as a person who is not inclusive or tough enough. Think about the mental energy waste right and these people like gender fluid so they say i'm gender fluid so they can say this morning before the class i feel like a man but now at the end of class i, I feel like a woman how the heck do i know that how they feel like at the mood so how do i ever like you know predict what they're gonna feel like at the moment
0: well, well surely some for somebody like you whose english isn't their first language wasn't there, like, any kind of, like, wouldn't they have cut you some slack? Like, I know, uh, like, in Chinese, he and she, it sounds the same. And so in right. English, I know a lot of Chinese people who, like, the, yeah, mix up he m- and she. mix
3: up he and she all the time. Yeah. Maybe they're just exactly. being
1: very inclusive and gender fluid.
3: <laughs> but <laughs> exactly. so, yeah, surely
0: they must have, like, would have cut you some slack, right?
1: No. So this is the thing. I'm in Korea the same. Like, you know, like, he or she the same. You, like, me, right? You in Korea the same. But the thing is here, like, now I still have to learn how to say they in my sentence as a pronoun. I'm still not good at it. And one day, they, he he was, I mean, born guy, but they, (laughs) it's still confusing. He he or they told me. (laughs) It's ridiculous.
0: Why are you having a problem with this? It's simple.
1: (laughs) This is why it's crazy. How this is not crazy, right? I'm like. So they told me, like, why am I not doing it right? And almost like crying, right? I mean, I think they thought I was like systemically, like, oppressed them, not acknowledging who they are. And I'm I'm trying my best. So it made me like not wanting to talk to anybody after all.
0: So some people took issue and got upset.
1: Yeah, and they told me directly at the end of the class and they were so like tearing eyes. And his poor day was <laughs> oh, so offended. <laughs> so I'm like, I still, this is crazy. I still cannot do this thing in my sentence after four years of pra- practicing. But this is not the only thing. Professor literally sends email before the class. Oh, we are going to talk about this, this material. This material talks about why colonialism, white supremacy, racism, injustice, rape, victim, all of that. So if this triggers you, don't do the reading, don't even come to class. And in the middle of the class, if it triggers you, just leave the class, don't even need to tell me. So that's every warning that professors give you. But then why the heck do you spend this fortune and four years of your life go there if you are not there to study and searching for the truth, right?
0: Well, for them, it's their parents' money, so it's not as much of an (laughs) issue.
1: But I mean, these people, and complaining about those students' loans, right like they say we are getting there to go to university but then when they go to university if it triggers them they don't want to learn about it so then i don't understand the point of education first of all then all these other things right i mean i was talking to my pro- professor one day and she was saying the, the fact that you are letting men to hold the door is showing them that man is overpowering you their aggression because they can like uh I mean, that's the thing. That's how extreme they are. The fact that you're holding a door for somebody is an oppression for a woman. So I would say, no, I'm like, I'm holding a door for a woman. Like, be consider be having a manner, right? Being thoughtful. And then she's like, you you're brainwashed. So that's every time I challenge my professor, they just go there. You are brainwashed. That's why you're thinking this way. <laughs> I mean, even North Koreans wouldn't do that. Even North Koreans wouldn't come up with this narrative. Every single thing comes to white men, the horrible thing, the most horrible thing that destroys the world. Yeah, they were in a way hating white men, the Western civilization, more intensely than North Koreans do at this point. Really? Yes. At some point I was thinking, am I in North Korea or am I in America, right? What an irony, like I escaped that country now and developed in this country where I have to intensely hate Americans, right? Intensely hate everything about the Western democracy. That's what they do at Colombia.
0: This is what they're being taught.
1: Yeah. So that's the thing, like Colombia has this course studying Western civilization of music and art. So every class, they say before the class, they say, so who has a problem studying Western civilization music? And everybody raising their hand. And they're saying is uh, because of the Western men, right, the white guys colonized Asia and Africa, they messed up entire humanity. So now they silenced all those talented minority women artists. Now we have to ending up studying these bigots like Mozart and Beethoven. So I was thinking, well, after all, this is the West. <laughs> And in Korea, when we study Korean music, we wouldn't say that, right?
0: Oh young me, you're brainwashed. I'm exactly. So, I'm
1: sorry. Exactly. So I was saying like what I mean, this West is a part of human history. What is the, like wrong with the studying part of history, right? And this is the West after all. And everyone is like looking at me, I'm like alien to them. And all they can just come up with, oh, you're brainwashed. And like, I'm like hopeless to them. And eventually I just had to shut up. And so I can pass the class and graduate, right? There's no point for me to argue with every single one of them who will never believe me.
0: I mean, did you ever, were you ever like, hey, I, I grew up in North Korea. I, I was a slave in China. Let me tell you what real problems are. Did that ever factor in?
1: <laughs> well, I tried to share my experience, right? Like the actual weight. <laughs> actual oppression, actual slavery that happening in this contemporary world, not something happened like many hundreds of years ago. But the thing is like for them, I mean, for them it's so weird. The oppression they feel is so real. They feel like the white men out to get them in any second. I think that's the thing. It's, that was the thing after four years. These people are not just pretending to be oppressed. They actually feel oppressed. They, they feel actually terrified because they are brainwashed. They think there's enemy, those white men are trying to kill them all. So that's how I understood like when we think we are living in the external or physical world, but we live in, in our brain. In their brain, though, they are living in this war zone, right? So that's, it was so sad to these kids, like why <laughs> they have so much. They are the best generation of entire humanity. We never been possible like this. Like if you are not grateful now, nobody should have ever been grateful. This is the best time to be alive, especially if you are in and like living in New York City in this twenty-first century. But then they feel like they are the most oppressed people in this entire human history. I mean, where do we blame that? Where are we going after this? This generation of people—they think they are the victims.
0: How did how did that happen?
2: Yeah, I know it's crazy. You know, I was thinking at. at uh, Columbia University. Uh, my dad went to Columbia and I think he started in 1950. And one of the first classes he took as a freshman was a class called the uh, accent reduction because he had a strong Brooklyn accent. And so the idea at the time, and this is 1950, so 70 years ago, that, that like if you had too strong of an accent, you couldn't get a job or fit in. So the idea was to try to help people like get rid of that sort of thing and now like imagine a class like that it would be considered like oppression to try to help people get rid of unintelligible accents
1: right? <laughs> that is so true yeah that is so true
0: well so what was this what was this like for you like you you escaped north korea you escaped china finally you're in the free world yeah what what's it like to be like like how what happened like like you surely you must have been like oh this is this is great to be here and then you see this Mm. that must have caused like a a big disconnect
1: yeah so that is the first time i learned that actually in life you need a problem real problem because not having a problem is a problem Mm. and these people never had the problems now they're in this right i mean they find every single thing to be offended that's all they're spending their energy on. They spend entire their brain power to be offended and triggered. Like even, I mean, they say, oh, why can't you not pronounce my name like properly, right? They, they're coming from some absurd country that I never heard of. And then demanding that I need to pronounce their name like the, the native speaker. I mean, I don't care when people call him like yummy or yummy, whatever it is, right? It's like they never spoke Korean in their life. And I mean, why is that a reason you need to be offended? So now professors, I mean, demanding you to send them recording of your own name before the class. So they study the name instead of trying their best to teach you how actually to think about the problem, how to understand history. Instead of that, they are spending their energy to, show how inclusive they are by studying your name with your physical recording of your name and this is a place of you know the great thinkers that supposedly come from right like people go to colombia a lot of them gonna become the leaders of this world and this is the worldview. this is justice they understand they think this is justice right this is human rights and these people are talking about human rights like you don't know what human rights violation look like, actually, right? You don't know, like, a person. But they don't believe me. They don't. So, yeah, that was the most bizarre. And it so saddens me. One thing I learned is, I'm not going to send my son to these, like, insane schools. And it makes me not wanting my son to go to any public school at this point. And another thing is, like, I used to be so hopeful about this America, right? This is the land of the free, the home of the brave, the future of humanity, the beacon of hope. All these things I believe now, I'm like, oh, we are doomed. (laughs) We are really doomed here now.
0: (laughs) Well, have you seen this kind of thing outside of Colombia? Like, I'd like to think America isn't doomed because Colombia University is horrible.
1: Well, so (laughs) I thought so, right? I literally thought. These kids go to Colombia, become radicalized. When they graduate and then they go to like these companies and paying taxes, they're gonna come to their senses, right? By paying taxes. But no, I met so many people working for Facebook, Twitter, all these big tech companies, especially tech companies, even like Google, right? I don't wanna generalize people, a lot of them, like 98% of them that I met from those companies, are didn't get over that. They are so much about feeling this oppression they fear, And they told me, why do you go to Texas? And I'm like, it's a country. There are people there, right? It's America. There are people that I need to reach. And they're like, they don't want to go below a certain line because they think those are people's Trump supporters. So they don't ever want to set their foot on that kind of territory. These are the people in their 40s, high executives at like these big tech companies. And that's why I was like, yeah, this, they don't get over it. That was a myth that we I thought they were getting over, but they don't. And that's why we see so much censorship on YouTube. I mean, now we're talking with big problems now, but like so much censorship everywhere because these people actually believe that you need to censor others in order to achieve the just they see, right? The way they think what is just, it by silencing others.
0: Well, it sounds so strange to me because like a lot of these people you're talking about this in in, like media and tech that -hmm. you've spoken to probably were reaching out to you because they wanted to help get your story out there to talk about Mm -hmm. the kind of oppression that happens in the world. But then they don't see that a lot of the things they're promoting are also creating injustice and inequality.
1: No, no, they don't connect to that. That's how dumb, um, dumb this whole thing is, right? I mean, I, I spoke at TED, like people go to TED are wonderful, they have amazing hearts, right? They really wanna change the world. But then how they wanna change the world is censoring individual like liberty, right? Limiting individual liberty, that's... A, but then they learn that in their university and school, I think all their life, that's how you achieve social justice. So I don't think in their hearts by censoring like canceling trump canceling all these people is a injustice they are creating they think they are doing the right thing they truly believe that they think they are saving the world by doing that
0: which is so interesting because a lot of this sounds like essentially like marxist or communist ideology in the united states it sounds like the same sorts of things that they were saying uh, you know back in the soviet union at the beginning or back in china at the beginning even Pol Pot was talking about Equality, creating equality in society. And it really seems that the trick to that is it seems like it does take advantage of the fact that most people are good people and want to help other people. Mm-hmm. It just then twists it into something so devious.
1: Yeah, that is a thing. Like, I mean, in order to start a communism revolution, if you don't have true believers, it's impossible. Right. So something about this <laughs> Marxism is very appealing to good people with good intentions, but how they want to change the world and making each other better, right? How they want to help others, they don't know that that actually brings destruction eventually. And that's the thing. That's why this ideology never dies. It's keep trying, keep trying. Whenever it brings destruction, it's keep going afterwards and going afterwards, and now, even in America, right? They're trying this ideology. They are dying to try this thing so that we all can be die and starve to death that's the thing like that's why I keep thinking about human nature That like, humans are not logical this is fascinating to me right like humans are not logical like animals we are not
3: I mean we're very emotional and I think that's what a lot of this kind of preys on like what you're what you're saying Chris about people wanting to be good or mm-hmm. what you're saying Yomi about people really in their heads and their hearts kind of feeling mm-hmm. yeah. oppressed like it's it's really like very very emotional and I mean, you see that um, over and over again in, in communist societies, like the Cultural Revolution in China, mm-hmm. it was mm-hmm. all like, just like, I mean, people look back at that period of time in their lives and they think like, we just all went crazy. Because like, it was just a, such a time of like heightened emotion and like, kind of this like mob frenzy, mob justice. And it, it, like, people kind of like, don't even recognize themselves when they look back at that because like it was like the entire society just like like went insane for 10 years.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's I think one of the things that's interesting is a lot of people, you know, they're they're seeing problems in American society and, you know, they they are often real problems. Uh and what they're doing is they're saying to themselves, well, the best way to fix this is to give the government the power to make the arbitrary decisions necessary to help this group, you know, including help this group at the expense of this other group, right? Now, Hmm. obviously there's the problem of like dividing people into somewhat arbitrary groups. And you can, you know, debate about whether race is an arbitrary group, right? Uh, And I think that just depends on your worldview. But the other, the the thing that really gets me is it's like, let's give the federal government lots of power to make arbitrary decisions. Power and money. But it's like, did we not just go through four years of half the country hating the president and now we want to give the the, the government the, like, enormous power? Like, what's going to happen, you know, in four years or eight years when, you know, you get Republican presidents, I don't know, Ron DeSantis or what, whatever it is, right? Then, like, people are going to be like, oh, oops, maybe we shouldn't have given the government all that power. Uh, and so mm-hmm. just, like, this disconnect between... Wanting to, to do what's right for people and then giving enormous power to, like, this this giant uh, bureaucracy that can use – I mean, like, you're giving them tools. So, like, yeah. whoever is in power is going to use those tools for what they want to use the tools for. And this is what happens in uh, socialist and communist countries where, you know, like, full communism is essentially the the, the government or the, the party uh, is – is so powerful, it controls literally every aspect of every single person's life, right? Like North Korea, like where, mm-hmm. you know, where you live, what apartments you get, uh, you know, the job you have, the amount of foods you have, uh, the people you can talk to, you know, who you can haircut, marry. haircut,
1: the, don't forget the
2: haircut. The haircut. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't mind, because what I really, I've always wanted is a Kim Jong-un haircut. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, uh, other than that, it's very oppressive, right? So. <laughs> So, like, the, the more power you give the government, the more oppressive it will inevitably be.
0: Well, I think this is why the United States has always been the enemy of communism abroad, because the United States, everything about how the United States was founded was created in a way to give people as much power and keep power mm-hmm. out of the hands of the government. It's based on the idea that absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yeah. And so you have communism with its ideology specifically geared towards uh, destroying a society and putting power in the hands of a few.
1: I mean, that's the thing, and what I was keep thinking. Well, I mean, in a way, right, like when I have been like never taking responsibility in North Korea, because like you said, by giving all the rights to the government, in a way, they promise that you never have to be responsible for anything. Now, as a government, you're going to take everything care of for you. So maybe that's why I think it's very appealing to people in here right now, right? They just wanna give every right they have to the government, then which means they don't have to be responsible for their behaviors.
0: They can be taken care of.
1: Yeah, because freedom is not easy. Like it it was so hard. I remember when I was in South Korea. Like freedom was so hard. They were saying, So what are you gonna do with your life? And like now do I have to think about that? Well, in North Korea, you never had to think about what am I going to do with my life? And then was like, maybe I will go to school. I'm a teenager, right? Then, like, what are you going to study? But like, really do I have to choose that? Because in North Korea, they tell you if you go to school, what school go to, what you study. There's no such a thing you choose your major in North Korea, right? The regime tell you, you're going to study art, you're going to study chemistry, engineering, right? You're going to study gymnastics. So now I'm like, okay, maybe I have to decide my... A major, but then what do you want to do as a job? Like really, to have to think about that too. It was so overwhelming. Not only that, like when I go to shop, there are hundred different types of pants, right? Jeans, leggings, shorts, like mini shorts. And in North Korea, no, it was regulated. Government you this is the type of pants you can only wear. So I never had to think what kind of pants I want to wear. And I was thinking like, oh my God, if I get a frozen, enough you know, like potato and I have a guarantee not getting executed, I would go back to North Korea. <laughs> and in fact, some North Koreans do go back. After finding freedom so hard, they do go back. That is how, wow. that, that's the thing that like, we should have more respect for the people who want to be free. Because then you got think for yourself, then like you have to be responsible for the choice that you are making. Right. You got to be. And I think here, that's the thing, like all about the responsibility and they don't want to take. And so they want to give it to the government and then like, oh, they just want to be voluntary on a slave to the government.
0: Wow. Wow. It's well, you know, you look at uh, like the Soviet Union or well, any uh, authoritarian regime in history. And like I've always wondered, like, how does a society get to that point? And it's usually not Mm -hmm. overnight. It's not like suddenly a dictator has an army and just takes over. Especially with communism, like this ideology yeah. starts to spread. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly things get out of control. So this is what you... Th- I mean, you, you used the word communist revolution earlier. Is that kind of what you see happening in the United States?
1: Oh, yeah, totally. What do you think is happening in Portland right now? I mean, what what do you think is happening in, in Chicago right now? It is totally... Commun- I mean, they think destroying and stealing from goods and Chanel is a justice, right? <laughs> this is what today's justice looks like in America. I'm mean, like these social justice warriors, right? Their war is stealing bags from Chanel. And I think in a way, even the fact about their obsession with the gender, right? Like X chromosome, Y chromosome, facts doesn't matter anymore. Like it's all about how you fear. Like as Charlie said, it's all about how you feel. If you feel like a unicorn, you are a unicorn. At this point, right, that's like the world that we are going into. And I think the fact that they believe that this country was built upon idea of racism and hatred and white supremacy, they want to tear down every single part of fabric of this country and the world, and they want to rebuild. But in order to rebuild their communist or social paradise, They got to destroy first. So that's why they are going after every single thing right now. Like they're literally going after every single thing. Even the fact that the genetics, X chromosome, Y chromosome, so obvious. It's not obvious anymore.
0: That is what Marx says in the Communist Manifesto. You have to destroy all pre-existing social conditions.
1: Exactly. Exactly. That's it. So that's, that's where we are going to. And in a way, this is more intense than... Uh, North Korean communism revolution is because social media is so powerful, right? You can so effectively brainwash people and spread this ideology. In the past, when the communism was happening, they had to go to town and town and talk to people, gather them, right? But now you don't have to. You just have to use social media. So in a way, it can happen so quickly. It doesn't have to. Like North Korea takes decades, it can happen literally in a few years' time, We are done. They they just won the battle, right? So I think the acceleration of change, even the division. When I came to America, it wasn't this crazy, literally. I don't think I heard anybody, they don't want to set a foot into like the land like Florida or Texas because of the bigots, the Trump supporters. Never heard that. Now I hear that all the time from the people in SF or like LA, New York they get shocked, like, why do you go to Texas? I'm like, I'm not going to North Korea. Why is it shocking to you? But me going to Texas, almost like I'm going to North Korea to them at this point.
3: Wow. When did you come to the U.S., Yumi?
1: Well, I was visiting a lot in 2015 and then moved in January 2016.
0: So that's only a couple of years.
1: Yeah, but that wasn't like that bad. It wasn't.
0: So what do you think... What lessons as a survivor of communism yourself do you think you have to offer to Americans?
1: So honestly, right, like sometimes when this this noddies, right, we're so ungrateful, so bitter and has zero appreciation for history, what our ancestors did, what humanity went through to bring us here. The fact that we are alive here, someone like had to fight for us in the jungle many generations ago, right? Fighting the starvation. I was like, maybe you guys deserve this punishment, like destruction. right? you gotta be starved, like in North Korea, then you're gonna come to your senses, knowing how grateful you are, how how grateful, like this amazing, this U.S. Constitution is. But the thing is, I know that they are misled, right? They are a professor. There were people misleading them. And they are also, in a way, are actual victims of this entire whoever drives it. I don't know why they are doing this, but somebody is behind all of this. A lot of people funding, even Georgie Storm is like he's spending billions of dollars to destroy everything. So I, I think... Only thing that we learned is that, from China especially, what I learned is that economic freedom does not bring political freedom. Something so unique thing about freedom is that you must fight for it. It must be fought. So you have it. And and I think that's it. Like in America, only, only thing that we have left to do is fighting for freedom in this country. It's so funny, like until even last year, I was talking about freedom in North Korea. <laughs> i mm-hmm. fighting for freedom in North now, I'm suddenly fighting for f- my freedom in America, my freedom of speech, not getting cancer. Like, It's like maybe I was thinking, do I bring a dictatorship? Is it my karma? <laughs> maybe wherever I go, I bring them with me. <laughs> if I do, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I, maybe I, this is what I did to this country. <laughs> yeah.
2: Maybe you could move to Canada for us. <laughs> no, it's already a mess there.
1: It's already happening there. So yeah. but yeah, yeah, that is
0: that is so ironic. Like you know, you come out of North Korea and like you you have this message about what life was like North Korea in North Korea and how horrible it was, and now you have to, It's almost like you are telling Americans how to be American.
1: <laughs> it's so I I'm like because of the fact it's such a humbling position. I don't think I understand true value of even freedom myself. Right, it's so much beyond. Any human can understand what this does to how much it empowers human beings. It is beyond anything. <laughs> but these people don't see tiny bit of benefit of being free. That is unbelievable. They don't see it. They see the side effects of being free so well, but they never see the pros of being free, even one thing about it.
3: Yeah, it's like that analogy about like, the fish doesn't know what water is because it just is in it yeah. all the time. You know, yeah. like,
2: I mean, I, I often think that immigrants to America are often the best Americans, right? Because they've, <laughs> yeah. they've experienced something else and they've chosen to come here. And then they have a kind of fr- uh, framework from which to evaluate America and appreciate the things that America has that they didn't have before.
3: Very fiercely patriotic. A lot of yeah. them become very fiercely yeah. patriotic <laughs> Americans. I um, know. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I think if you just grow up in it you just don't you just don't even notice it, right? So yeah. you don't it, it's you don't appreciate it like you said because you just uh, and then if you're taught to just focus on kind of like the systemic injustices and was the thing that Obama used to say that was kind of to the whole like to form a more perfect union. So mm-hmm. you know, uh, America has always been imperfect, but Mm -hmm. we're always working on it and getting better. Like to be taught that that's not actually the case—that it's you know rotten to the core and always has been, and and only getting worse, and will never get better. You know that then that you know that makes you a hopeless person.
2: Right. I mean, the the irony is like you know we've just celebrated Juneteenth, right, Mm -hmm. which is like this day about that that celebrates America's end of slavery. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like, think about how amazing that is, that we had this horrible yeah. institution. We fought a war and then mm-hmm. we ended it. And like the Juneteenth is like the day that the troops, the Union troops went into Texas and emancipated the slaves. And so like we're literally celebrating a change from horrible to way better. And like obviously there were, were many problems for a long time after that 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 did you know, have well, I guess I think gradually improved uh, significantly, uh, especially since the civil rights movement. But like, is this not an indication that that we are forming a more perfect union?
1: Exactly. How, I'm like that's like how this is not enough. Like this is how this is enough, right? You guys, uh, it's yeah, it, it, it's. That, that's the thing the education the purpose of education is this learning about history right learning what what we had made a mistake like all of those things that's what you're supposed to do when you go to university but they actually ended up very twisted about reality I don't think that's the thing like their reality is so twisted almost like they're in a different like planet than like you right like, what history book did you read right like what i mean so i don't know but how are they so good at like making the reality so delusion like north korean regime is so good at it using a one actual fact it is a fact but using it spinning in a way that it just makes the entire thing a different story
0: well i think a lot of it has to do with the media jumping on this like You know, there's been uh, the big debate about critical race theory happening now. And like on CNN, they're saying like, oh, you know, the the far right is trying to prevent uh, slavery being taught in schools. And that's not what people are arguing about. They're arguing about critical race theory, but they just reframe it in a way that's a total lie. Mm -hmm. And since the media is the bastions of truth, who who's there to challenge them?
2: Yeah, well, I think, you know, on top of who's there to challenge it, it's like if you you know we're in new york city which is a, a mm-hmm. pretty liberal place and you know if you challenge an idea that's uh pretty much pushed in the media and is is common and you challenge it here like on the streets of new york city like you don't know like maybe someone will will go after you for expressing your idea right or beat you up mm-hmm. or something yeah. and so mm-hmm. or you know the the columbia university equivalent which would be like canceling or or getting you uh demark or whatever it is that that they do right so uh there's this enormous social pressure to then not question a certain mm-hmm. view and so you know there actually may be a lot of people who disagree but over time uh the the inability to raise that issue or the inability to ask critical thinking questions then uh for some people they just stop thinking about it altogether others they just uh are just afraid to ever express it. And so you end up with the overall environment being one that is, is not conducive to independent thought, but rather uh, everyone just feels more comfortable going along with whatever the, the prevalent narrative is. Mm-hmm. So we can all live in delusion together and then we're all harmonious. Yeah.
0: I'm curious uh, like, have you been getting any backlash for talking about these things? I mean, you were on the Jordan Peterson par- podcast. Some people hate that guy.
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah, that was a, that's a thing, Like, right? Like I remember, so my story with Dr. Peterson was back and when I had a baby in 2018, I think. One day I was walking the summer downtown Chicago. Huge, this like auditorium theater huge letter Jordan Peterson sold out. I never heard that name before, right? Like it was like on the weekday too. And who said that the entire thing like that? And my ex back then we were walking and then they were like selling uh tickets like very high price in the in front of the door. And then we bought a ticket and we entered, entered the room. Fully, fully packed. And actually yeah, a lot of men were there. And he, that computer has no slides. Talking about 12 rules for life, right? Going through the number rule number one, two. And these people crying in tears. I've never seen anything like that for like two, three hours of lecture in that big hall. And that's when I think thought, I mean, if there was a time, right, like if Socrates was alive or Steve Jabs alive, we have a thing that how much would you pay to have a lunch with them? So he was that kind of person to me, <laughs> right? I'm like living with all the greatest thinkers of my time. How much would I pay to have lunch with him? <laughs> so when he like asked for interview, I was so honored, but I, I couldn't believe how much hate he was getting. But I also couldn't believe how much hate I give and I get. It makes all sense. But afterwards, especially this time with the Fox, instead of people saying a lot of my actual friends, that like I used to say, I love you, all those friends now telling me I am concerned. And I understand because they used to do a project with me and their names are associated with me in the past. So now I think they're trying to protect themselves because they are also public figures. Uh, In a way, I understand. But then in a way, I don't understand because these people are the ones talking about justice And how hypocrite they are now the first thing they want to do is protecting themselves not associating with a bigot like me and i mean of course random people like tell you f you like go die you're the fake and then a lot of people challenge why did you have to talk about that on fox news and i'm like fox was the only one who called me on this right (laughs) if new york times calls me right now i will be on new york times like, I will be on CNN. This news was like, this Fox thing covered South Korea. Like, 50 articles came out. New Zealand, Australia, all other countries wrote about my article. None. CNN, New York Times, MSNBC, none in mainstream covered even one single thing about that article. It was wow. like, as if they just pretend that didn't happen, right? It was a big thing in other, every other country, every other platform. So I'm like, it's not like I want to go on Fox. I I appreciate Fox. Thank you, Fox News. But then I want to go on BBC too. I want to go on all other people. But then they don't call me. So here I am telling them I'm willing to talk to everybody about this. And this is the thing, like how the fact that I spoke about this on Fox News, that was enough reason for them to never believe me. That's the thing. It's like, yeah, I can forgive you for having that view. But then why was it Fox News? I'm like, so they, they say you are being used by this propaganda machine, right? <laughs> so like, poor you, you are being used. I'm like, I, like, people like, you know me, I went through hair, I'm not being used. I know how to like control myself. So that was almost like they are denial about it. That's the thing. Because what I was talking, I think it was hitting their home in some ways, but it was too uncomfortable. Instead, they are looking for the reasons why I'm a liar, why they don't want to like think about this, right? One is I spoke to Fox News, that's enough reason. And second is, you know, like also comparing, <laughs> I mean, so they thought still like there was no guns pointing at you at Colombia. So how is it worse than North Korea? But in a way I was saying the loss of common sense, the chaos immorality. morality, was nuttier than North Korea. That's what I meant. Now when it comes, actually, the punishment. But there is a chaos in morality, right? In, in, in Colombia right now, there's never a wrong and bad, like, good anymore. You can never do a wrong as an individual now, right? In their scenario, you can be anything, you can feel anyway. everything is justified.
0: You can be wrong, you can go on Fox News.
1: Yeah, so, but, like, as long as you are not challenging their view. You can never be wrong. Within their system, everybody is accepted, right? So this, but the thing was heartbreaking thing was that from the people who I cared about, who I've been friends for many years, I, I cannot talk about who they are because they are probably people. And saying that trying to like cover their you know, reputation, the first thing is that it is shocking. And like this, this hypocrisy is sickening to me all these people they say oh i care about black lives matter like i care about women's rights blah blah they try to fit in so they can get a job and they can like do right they they can do good for themselves and like i don't know actually how many people care about social justice issue at this point
0: gosh i mean all of this shit like shelly does this sound familiar to you in any way
3: uh what are you implying chris
0: uh China? <laughs> like, this sounds so familiar.
3: I, I mean, we've talked about it before in the show the whole like guilt by association thing, the whole uh, it's about, uh, you know, who is making the argument or like like not the actual argument. It's about, you know, the, the political correctness of where it's kind of very calculated to um, not just use actual punishment uh but to use like social pressure and punishment
0: i mean i'm just thinking like you know in china it's hard for us to understand now but if somebody got labeled a counter-revolutionary like even their family and friends would have to like distance themselves from that person
3: i mean yeah you had people literally reporting their parents Yeah. and then their parents being executed and then they thought they did the right thing you know
0: and hey you know the biden new domestic security plan you know he wants to have ways that people can report On their friends and family who might be having don't worry about it chris
3: it's just you know if you see something say something just like in the subway
0: yeah (laughs) yeah this isn't a horrible spiral to the bottom
3: Uh, i mean that is i think one of the worst things about communist society is how it kind of breaks apart any type of social trust yeah like you can you cannot trust your neighbors you cannot trust your friends you cannot trust your family members right yeah like if if you are thinking about leaving North Korea, right? Who can you tell? You, you you can you you have to keep this all a secret. You cannot tell anybody what you're thinking in your mind, yeah. right?
0: No. Wasn't that something put, you said? Your mom told I, you that your tongue was your most dangerous weapon, or something?
1: Yeah, that's just like the most dangerous thing that you have in your body is your tongue. It can kill not just you, up to three to eight generations of your family can get killed for that. But the thing is about that trust, right? That's when I learned when humans trust we prosper western democracy the foundation is trust isn't it like even the fact that getting into uber and not like believe that i'm not gonna get murdered and robbed and like believe that i order pizza and they're not gonna put a poison in it and rocks in it it's our trust that's how we operate if there's zero trust i'm ne- gonna, never gonna buy a pizza they're never gonna buy send me a pizza like i mean what a horrible world that is gonna be so, in North Korea, that's what they do. Like, if three of you guys are sitting there, Matt is watching Shelly, like, Shelly's watching Chris, but you, Chris, are watching Matt. So, you're being spied and you're also spying on somebody. So, even you're being a, such a good person, not gonna report in on Shelly, but Matt is gonna report on you. But if Matt is not gonna report on you, he's being watched by Shelly, you're gonna be reported by somebody else. So, everybody forced to report on each other.
2: Wait, so you guys have been watching me the whole time? <laughs> Because because I've been spying on you guys. <laughs> well, Matt, yeah. you're easy to look at.
1: So.
3: Uh, uh, well, <laughs> thanks, Chris. Yeah, I mean, this is crazy. I went to um, Berlin a couple years ago and went to the Stasi Museum, and it which Sounds is familiar. which is the secret police in East Germany, right under the communism. And it was immensely, it was insane to kind of go to this museum and see all these stories and like realize that basically, like. At least forty percent of German society, East German society, maybe more, were either spies or informants for the Stasi. So, like, uh, <laughs> it's, crazy. it's crazy. Like, you everybody knew it, knew at least somebody who was spying or reporting on them. And like, this is just the way that they, you know, operated society. And then, you know, after um, the Soviet Union fell, after uh, East Germany fell you could go to these places and see like they had the records opened so mm-hmm. you could go see who who was spying for the Stasi and oh, wow. there were people who who, there were people who didn't go because they said they just didn't want to know they because they knew there would be friends or family or somebody very dear to them that had been doing it and they they decided they, they just didn't want to know who had been doing yeah. it. it's it's kind of crazy to think about I mean when my when we came to the US, Uh, My mother told me when I started going to school, she was like, do not tell anybody anything that happens in our family. Like at school, you just do not talk about anything. Your mother went through the cultural revolution. So like at the time I was, you know, I thought this was just like my mother's paranoia like and i was scared because i was like what are we doing at home that i'm not supposed to tell people but i realized many years later that (sighs) this is the product of growing up in communism is that you know she was looking i mean my grandfather was arrested by the communists in the 80s i mean he was it wasn't that he had been like a dissident or anything but Mm -hmm. he just got caught up in many of the one of the many political campaigns
2: i mean he was an engineer or something right yeah
3: he worked at a uh like he was a an engineer at a dam.
2: That's very political, Shelley.
3: Right, but like you know, one day his friends came to the door and said, "Hey, we got to talk to you outside for a minute." He went with them, didn't come back.
0: Yeah. You with know, friends too. Friends. Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, I I think what's insane when you talk about in in East Germany that forty percent of the people were involved in spying in some way, is that like how do you as as a, an authoritarian regime get 40% of people to be willing to spy on their friends and neighbors. And I think the answer is, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but like they do it through convincing you that you're doing the right thing by turning people in. You're doing the right thing by spying on them. I mean, is that is that the case in North Korea where where Kim Jong Un or the the regime convinces people that turning in counter-revolutionaries or, or equivalents is, is the right, the morally right thing?
1: But the thing is, they try to convince you that's the right thing to do, but then when they tell you to do, you have no option other than that. I mean, if the regime, the North Korea regime tells you to do this, it's like no is never an option for us. We don't even know, it's like no is a such a thing. The party demands you to be dying right now in front of us, we kill ourselves, right? They, they demand absolute obedience from you. So for people, the concept of you can say no to authority is not a concept in our mind. Like whatever the authority says, they are right. Right, like whatever they, is it the animal farm? If the, you know, the Napoleon thinks he's always right. Right, he's always right. So that is so embedded in the, minds of North Koreans, like even they sound so ridiculous, like we never say, oh, that's 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 wrong. So back then, especially when they demanded to spy on people first, um, of course, they try this is going to keep our socialist revolution continue. But then also people cannot say, no, I'm not going to do it (laughs) like you got to say, yes, I'm going to do it. Right.
0: Well, and so now here you are in the U.S. saying no to all kinds of authority, including this crazy social pressure that's happening. And, you know, like, as, as I was saying earlier, like, how how do you get to be a society like East Germany, where 40% of the people are spying on each other? And, Matt, I think you had a good point about it being because they trick people into thinking what they're doing is right.
3: Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's part of it. But I think the other thing is, like, you want me say, you don't have a choice. No, like, you cannot. It's not just about making you believe. I mean, I think there always will be true believers, but there are going to be people who uh, don't want to do it. But like, You know, you don't want to spy on this other family, but if you don't, then they're going to come after your family.
2: Right. So the it's it's like you you believe it and you convince yourself that you're doing the right thing because the price of doing otherwise is just too great. Right. And it's then it's like I can understand that the psychological compulsion to convince yourself Mm -hmm. that you are doing the right thing. So Mm -hmm. you get yourself to believe it because otherwise like you can't live with yourself uh, for not being willing to stand up to the government or whatever.
0: Well, uh, well, like me, like you talking about these things, you going on a Fox news that, you know, you might lose a bunch of friends. You might lose opportunities to speak, opportunities to write books. Like there's a lot of th- things at risk for you because you t- you're talking about things that are not necessarily politically correct.
1: Very incorrect. <laughs> I mean, it's very clear. Um, but I do know now at this point the the gene, the humans right like the survivor instinct is very strong that like we can tell ourselves stories. I mean, that's why I like like named my book in order to live, that we tell ourselves stories in order to live, right? I think like what Matt said, you can do that you can rationalize in yourself, keep saying those things, and then don't feel horrible about yourself. But the thing is, in this communism. They don't teach you really morality, being a decent human. So by turning somebody in, it's not something you feel guilty about. I think that's the thing. Like I learned humans are so good in like free world. In communism, I'm so sorry to say that, but humans are so, so evil. And in a way, also because they never learned what being decent looked like, what being decent mean, means. So if I were like right now in North Korea never learn and never like read the books like by Dr. Peterson on, like Animal Farm like 1984 and never had idea of learning these ideas how to be a better human I would have totally turn in everybody on my way and I would not if, even feel bad about it that's like a human nature that's the thing like human is capable of doing anything right they can I mean they can become Kim Jong un they can like do Holocaust to each other, right? And they can be so opposite, right? That's why it so shocks me that when the edu- education fails to cultivate people to become decent and pursue morality that's why it shocks me the most because in communism, there's no morality. It's not like, there is a communist morality means like, you know, become a better revolutionary for the regime. So I don't know how it was in China, like, were there people bad or were turning each other or they were thought, like, they never even felt anything about it. That's the thing. When I was seeing those executions and seeing people dying on the street, like, I feel nothing. And, like, this is what I think I was talking with Dr. Peterson for a long time. Like, I literally thought maybe was I I was a psychopath then. Like, how could I possibly feel nothing, right? But now I, I feel them because now I know how you're supposed to feel. So, it's so messed up.
0: You know, well, Marx called it the specter of communism. And I think he was dead on with that. It really is like this sort of demonic possession that just... Communism has been successful everywhere it's been tried. Its, it's goal is to destroy society. Its goal is to bring about death and destruction.
2: Well, I mean, I, I also feel like Marx and, uh, and Engels specifically wrote that in the Communist Manifesto, that the goal of communism is to destroy... A society to they d- knew what d- they were to doing destroy morality destroy religion like it's it's not a it's not an accident it's a it's like that's the thing they're explicitly saying yeah it right. makes people horrible
3: well i mean i think also the goal is to replace those things morality religion with communism essentially like with that ideology it wasn't it, like what Mao was doing was not just like destroying the four olds because like he didn't like Chinese traditions, even though he was like a giant hypocrite and actually believed yeah. a lot in Chinese religion. But anyway, he was doing it so that the, in people's minds, anything that kept them from believing 100% in communism would be gone. There's nothing to tell you that there's something else, right? Like there's nothing to tell you that like there's another way to live.
1: Yeah. Does it? like so like now in the beginning I was like, oh, I don't want to be an alarmist, right? Like as a public person, you're supposed to be an optimistic person, right? You gotta be keep talking about hope. And I will do my best on that, right? But it now feels like the puzzles like feed in. Like it, the erosion in every single thing is coming together. And in one second, it just like switch, and now we are in actual the communist revolution might happen in this country. Like just one that switch. Like I literally thought like living in Chicago last year the looting. They were like saying they are going to blow, I mean, Trump Tower. And but they don't call them terrorists, right? They want to call white supremacy terrorists, everybody terrorists, but that is not terrorism. So I was so convinced if Trump wins, these people are going to blow up Trump Tower. And we are dead in Chicago. So I was like, we were, <laughs> how, how people are okay with this? Like every single day we are losing our rights in this country. And it makes full sense, right? This is how it happened in North Korea. This is how it happened in China and all other countries. And I don't know. I mean, I just don't want to be the point where it's too, we went too far that we cannot move, push backwards, right? I just don't know what that point looks like.
0: Well, so so let's let's try to to give a little hope. What do you think can be done to actually fight back against this?
1: I don't know because well, <laughs> kids go, like at two, three years old learning these things in day school. Like I send my child to daycare, they're already exposing to this political correctness nonsense. Really? Yes.
0: Can, can you give an example?
1: Oh my gosh. They're, I mean, in these classrooms, like when I go, it is like the, it's like in the communists, communists love these banners. Right, Shelley? They love banners of this, like the phrase. And like, if I was going to the classroom, it's all these banners about we're here to be inclusive, blah, blah, you know all about, like, I mean, it's okay. I mean, we are equal, but then it's like, they really, like, almost, like, North Korea virtue signaling how politically correct they are. But, like, thinking about two years of always looking at these banners, the first thing they're going to remember is that, like, inclusive, we are blah, blah, all these things, right? I don't know what they're going to do to their psychology permanently. And, of course, their school reports, they give you, you know, like, um, it's it's there are certain things you cannot tell your kids. They encourage parents to never tell kids no, right? Because that's a supposedly I mean, they is advice. So individual turns out they can never do wrong in the in front of their eyes. So I, mean, I don't know, like I mean, kids are sometimes psychopaths, right? They are very selfish people. <laughs> Seriously, they cry, they demand, they throw tantrums. You need to socialize them. They have to be civilized. And they don't pro they don't encourage you those like disciplinary things, like they send the parents reports, like you know, all those things, but they are always about whatever you are it's okay. Like of course whatever you are is not okay. Most people are not good. <laughs> you need to make them good. That's the purpose of education. But they are going to schools where whatever you think is good, as long as you are politically correct. So I'm like it's daycare, so okay, I'm gonna tolerate it, but afterwards, maybe it's gotta be really homeschooled, I don't know. But I mean that's the thing, like so you read this generation of people, politically crap, the banners everywhere in their school, like North Korea, all these banners. And growing up with this mindset, the most highest morality is a political correctness. right? It's showing your virtue like signal. What are they gonna do in the world when they grow up? Right, what kind of things they're gonna fight for? I'm, I'm sure they're not gonna try to empower individuals for sure not. So I used to be, I tried to be hopeful, but the thing is, yeah, I just hope it's not too late. That's the thing.
2: Yeah. Well, you know what gives me hope is that there are people out there like you who have the courage to express their views even if they're unpopular views. And uh, I hope that more people can find that courage in themselves to to knowingly say what they feel is right uh, mm-hmm. and doing that, knowing that they could be sacrificing something else. And I think that if if a lot of people do that, then the result will actually be that people don't end up sacrificing as much because mm-hmm. we'll start to see that, yeah, there are a lot of people out there that that aren't obsessed with political correctness. And mm-hmm. if we can all... You know, care for each other and love each other for, you know, regardless of whether you're on the left or the right or some other part of the political spectrum. It doesn't matter. Like we're all here together, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and, you know, ad- admire the best in people instead of seeing, you know, this one element uh, of people's view on a particular thing we don't like. But yeah, I think the biggest thing is just people having the courage like you to, you know, stand up and s- say, well, here's what I think is the right way to do things.
0: I think that's a great message for everyone watching, too, because they can take this story and act
2: on it.
1: I know. Like, so I, I can even, like, send Chris this. So after my fox thing, there's a one classmate from Colombia. Only one sent me text that. I felt the exact same way during the Colombia. Wow. <laughs> it was ridiculous, but I couldn't tell you because nobody it's like North Korea, right? We cannot tell our minds, right? We cannot ever, it's college, we're free of debate, right? We talk about, discuss ideas, but no, it became a like echo chamber. So I never thought there was somebody thought like me in the class, even though it was discussion class, right? And then she said, I'm working in New York, but I cannot make it public. But just I wanted to then show you my private support. And like, well, this is crazy so now she's worrying about of course she should worry about losing her job you know she gotta survive she gotta pay the rent New York is very expensive to survive there so I, I have a compassion for her but the thing is <laughs> the thing is like those, when I came out people were saying like our North Koreans are stupid why there is no revolution right that was the main question I was getting people just amused how dumb North Koreans must be that we probably did and now I'm here, like, so if you stand up, you, what you lose is your reputation, your job. But in North Korea, you kill three generations of your family. So how are you not rising up? Like, if you thought North Korea is and not rising up, this makes no sense. Why these people are not doing anything and being silenced like this?
0: That is a great point.
2: <laughs> yeah. I, I also like the idea that, you know, like, if even if, if you as a viewer... Uh, you know, don't feel like you have the situation where you can publicly say what you believe, but just sending a private message of support to someone mm. else who is, you know, whether they're being canceled or whether they're just saying something that's that's not commonly accepted, but something that they really believe in. I think just showing that you care about them and you support them and you'll be their friend, regardless of that, I think is really important for all of us.
0: Uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a good step. But I I, I just feel like they want to fire you. Fine. Get a new job. There are new jobs. You don't be addicted to all these little uh, pleasures of life. Oh, I won't be able to afford my thousand dollar iPhone. Oh, no, don't have an iPhone. (laughs) (laughs) Go camping, sleep on the floor. Says someone who's his own uh, boss, though. Well, yes, because (laughs) I made a choice and followed my passion. And anyone watching can can do that themselves. And when they free themselves, when they free their minds, they can say, Oh, you know what? Maybe instead of being stuck in this slave job where I can't where I'm terrified of saying the wrong thing. Yeah. You
2: have the freedom to do something else. It's like they say, free your mind and the rest will follow. The spoon isn't real.
1: But then comfort is so big, right? These people
0: Yeah, they're addicts.
1: They spend fortune to go. And they are, unless they don't get the corporate job, they have no chance paying for it. Unless they like, become a, like what, right? General people don't become, like can make that much if they go to non-profit, whatever, a small business, right? So only chance for them to pay back is working for a corporation, but the continuation of Colombia where they are obsessed with diversity of race, not diversity of thoughts. So that's the thing that is such a social toxic cycle. Right? You go to this expensive school, you get a lot of debt, then only way for you to pay for it is going a corporate job, but then you have to agree with them again. Yeah. So why are we doing this?
0: You gotta, that, I think that's why people are realizing these expensive universities are a bad idea. Don't go into debt to go to a school. You have to break this cycle. And ultimately, the choice is yours.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is an individual choice. So we are hopeful.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: well, I think
3: rise there, up. I, well, I think there are a lot of things in American society that just make it harder for like an authoritarian ideology to take place here. One, which is, you know, the way that the U.S. system is set up, the way that the government is set up is, was specifically to limit the power of government. Like that is the thing that the Constitution does, right? Like it limits government's power. So that is that is a barrier. Another thing is, the size of the country, is actually Mm. a huge barrier. You know how big America is, but there's 350 million people. So there are places people can go if they don't if they want to kind of, not live in New York City or LA or Chicago or these places where, uh, these things are taking hold. Go to they can go to life is terrible. They can go to Texas nobody's stopping them it's not like in china or north korea where your your movement is restricted right like china yeah. less than north korea but okay. you know you cannot choose really where to live uh long term uh so like there there are things there are these kinds of like freedoms that give americans the ability to kind of you know form local communities that don't subscribe to like marxist ideologies to uh kind of uh you know have alternative things like alternative media um even like nobody 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 has to go to a state university right yeah like you know there are private schools like We're on a trade yeah like there, or you know there are catholic schools There are like there are they're are, like systems set up in the country where like it's possible to survive and live uh not in that type of society Mm -hmm. so i think that like there's a lot of ways in which um yeah there's still a lot of hope in america and i think uh what we're seeing with what with in schools to elementary schools um a lot of parents like the red line for them is their kids you know
0: you do see a lot of people standing up about critical race theory in schools
3: now. yeah so uh and then like when that kind of snowballs like when you when there're more stories about vocal parents uh coming out and talking about this and then you know it kind of gives other people the um the bravery or confidence to come out and do the same thing like there's there i think there are actually a lot of ways in which like, I, I mean i don't think it's like oh well yes now now there's a communist revolution in the US that's not really where we are but, I mean, it does take people, I mean, one, realizing, like, you, you kind of have to think about, like, what you really believe in and what you're willing to put up with or not, right? Uh, and making those choices. So, it's it's not a passive thing. You kind of have to really, like, consider this for yourself. And it's like what you were saying, Yomi, earlier about, like, you, you have to choose things when you're free. Mm-hmm. Like, you have to make those decisions. Uh, and so... It's not that like everything will be taken care of, uh and you don't have to like do anything about it. But I think uh for people who do want to do something about it, there are a lot of things. And uh it's not hopeless.
1: Yeah, I mean so for me is that that was that's what I used to think right. But the thing is at Columbia every single class, every single day we debate how the US Constitution was written by this racist white supremacist white man. Why we need to abolish it and rewrite it. And there's a huge movement in every Ivy League school, university is talking about trash US Constitution, right? And the video that I talked about why I support the Second Amendment on YouTube, that video of course gets censored. So my problem is now the power is so solidified in the hands of big tech and media. And this time, of course, Fox talked about my views, but then CNN, New York Times, every other mainstream liberal like media pretend it was just nothing happened there. So imagine, hopefully, Fox is still there then, but like on YouTube, they're gonna go cancel you and me, everybody else who has like the, this like li- libertarian views. The, every podcast carrier is gonna cancel. They're like they cancel the power, right? Then next generation gonna never hear the ideas that us like supporting the U.S. Constitution. That view they are never gonna hear it. So that's why I'm thinking like the social power is so so like you know in the one place such a huge power in them in the tech be- tech media. So and also in the, for the revolution, right? I mean, China is a 1.3 billion people, and they should be there without social media. <laughs> And it's a huge country with a different ethnicity, like 56 different ethnicities in China, right? So I think it's in a way it's for me it's more plausible to do it in the age of social media now in America. And also for in order for revolution to happen, it doesn't have to happen every single town. It just gotta happen in the big hot zone, like the hot spot zones that we, we talk about. like we, in their very signified zones and the rest follows. So I don't know, like it, it can like become some like that crazy dystopia or, but either or less we have to keep the hope and keep fighting and keep talking these views no matter what we get. Right. And hope that justice prevails eventually. But like, what option do we have? But I think now I'm like really thinking realistic about the danger of America becoming like North Korea. It's not like I'm crazy paranoid person, but not. I think, like, seeing the, I mean, this time, like, it's CNN, not to mention one single thing about Fox, my interview with them, it's ridiculous. As if they're, like, living in a different universe. That's the thing, like, no matter what, we gotta be hopeful and gotta do the right thing. And hopefully, yeah, we are not gonna be the last generation that will ever free. you know. But that's a possibility. That's why we gotta fight harder. I think that's what it is, like. Instead of me, I keep trying to Americans now. I used to be more like that person. Keep telling them there's hope, be hopeful. But I think I want to give them clear picture. What can go bad? How it can go so quickly bad? Therefore, now you're going to fight. I don't know what, what's right, but I think that's what, how I it. I am more concerned than way before. I really, truly think there's a huge chance that America might lose this battle. Especially the infiltration, right? Even in the YouTube world, there's so many YouTubers get offered to be paid by Chinese, like Communist Party, to talk about defend their ideology. I cannot say the which YouTuber, but he got like millions of followers, and told me that's what happened to him. I couldn't believe it. Even in the YouTube world, China is controlling, not the only like mainstream media.
0: Yeah, yeah. The, as you say, the threat is very real, but I mean, fortunately, it the Communist Revolution has not happened yet. We can, we, a little show on YouTube, have mm-hmm. the freedom to interview you and get this message out. People can exactly. watch it. People can get on. They can still get on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and all the major social media platforms and talk about this. So it's it's critical that we use this time now to talk yes. about these things. So
1: Exactly.
0: Yomi, thank you very much for joining us today. This was fantastic and horrifying. And I hope people listening will, will, will share this podcast and I, I hope they'll check out, uh, the interview you did on Jordan Peterson. It was really, it was amazing. Oh, and thank um, you. also, and they need to check out your channel as well. Do a plug for your YouTube channel.
1: Uh, it's the voice of North Korea. Yeah. Yeah.
0: There we go. And we'll have links below to everything.
1: Yeah. Right. But this was so, so educational for me, even thank you guys for doing this.
0: Oh, it was our pleasure. Always great to have you on.
1: Thank you. I cannot wait to be back next time.
0: Yeah. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I, I think we need to uh, report Yongmi Park for uh, dangerous extremist viewpoints. To. Uh, I think they're setting something up.
3: Okay. Yeah. If you see something, say something. Yes.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I personally am inspired by Yongmi Yeong- Park to move to a solitary lifestyle in the mountains. Don't worry. I've been watching you guys this
3: entire time.
0: Because we're so easy to look at?
3: Yes, that's why.
0: Oh, great. Thanks, Shelly. I hear the gulags have great soup.
3: <laughs> I think somebody, people have accused me of somehow being some kind of like Chinese plant, like Chinese communist plant on the show. Really? Yeah.
0: I'd say a fern.
3: Uh, <laughs> I have nice fronds.
0: That is exactly what I was saying, Shelly. Okay. <laughs> Uh, yes, obviously, we're recovering from everything we talked about with the young me. That was uh, that was a lot. Um, yeah. But it's 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 a good it's a good point for all of us to remember that the, the threat is real. We need to use this time. We need to use the freedoms we have to uh, make a difference.
2: Yeah. And I think also for those of us who are liberal to look at what part of what's happening that is illiberal, which is. Uh, Illiberal being, you know, restricting freedom of thought or freedom of speech and make sure that, that, you know, regardless of where you are on the political spectrum, uh, try to make sure that at least uh, we have an environment where we can have those those basic uh, freedoms and celebrate that diversity in each other of diversity of thought and ideas and not, you know, cancel each other and instead listen to each other.
3: I'm pretty sure that goes against everything.
2: Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, that's the whole point, is that if we can't have a discussion, then it's North Korea.
0: Well, yeah, it's it's not—you can't really even look at it on, like, the U.S. left-right political spectrum. This is freedom versus communism. That's the two sides.
3: I think it's—I think a lot of people will find the talk about communism to be alarmist because— You know, when we think about communism in the U.S., we might think about the Soviet Union or, you know, North Korea, things like that. And it seems like what's happening in the U.S. is different or they're using, they're talking about different things. But I think we've had the conversation before about how, you know, these kind of communist ideologies, they're really good at using language. Mm -hmm. They're really good at using language in different ways. And so the overall thing that we're seeing is kind of, two sides in america being pitted against each other to fight and that is like the dialectic right and kind of the struggle and there was an interesting uh Perry link article where he was talking about how in china struggle is a transitive verb where mm-hmm. you struggle against people like it we've talked about this before where you, you struggle against each other and in the u.s it's we don't really struggle but we do cancel hmm. each other so the words are a little different, but what's happening in society or like the effect of these things uh, or maybe the purpose of it is kind of similar in the sense.
0: Counterrevolutionary and rightist. How different is that from being accused of being alt-right or far-right?
3: You know, it's whatever the term is, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever the non not okay thing it is to be at that time, like a racist or like they're a Nazi, there are a bunch of them. So, uh, so it's interesting that you have to kind of look beyond the vocabulary to look at what is happening, what the framework is, what this, what, what is actually the overall thing that's happening, which is two sides polarized as far as possible being made to fight each other.
2: Yeah. So, Chris, are we going to struggle against Shelley?
0: Uh, until her power starts to tip a little bit, and then I might have to join Shelly to struggle against you, at which point you and Shelly might have to struggle against me. All right. I'm well, sure
2: it'll all work out in the end. Don't worry. War is peace.
0: That's,
3: that's why it's great to have three people, because then you can all like kind of struggle against each other at one point or another. It's mm-hmm. like a stru- tripod of stability.
0: <laughs> and on that note, thank you for watching this episode of China Unscripted. Feel free to share it. Uh, links are below. Once again, I'm Chris Chappell. I'm Shelley Jung, And I'm Matt Gnaizda. We'll talk to you next time.